the things that we get to enjoy is sometimes we have guest speakers from out of the area, and this is Mike Kensler. He's from that far-flung place. Boy, I could really mess that one up real bad. Um, Tehachapi. Anybody know familiar with Tehachapi? All right, there's some Tehachapians here. Snow, wind, I hear. Lots of windmills up there. Um, so anyway, Mike is here with his wife, Kathy, and they're visiting. They uh, worked with our worship team yesterday, had a great time, and he's going to be going through... Uh, First Corinthians, the rest of fourth chapter. So, why don't we give him a hand and welcome him? Well, good morning. It's really good to be here. Um, this has been a great church for my family. We have um, sent two of our daughters. We have four children. My wife and I have a son in Colorado, and then three daughters. Uh, Maureen, who was up singing, and her husband, Jordan, are here. I uh, went to school at Cal Poly, and we have a daughter, Katie, who came over, gosh, early 90s, or mid-90s, but I remember we went with her to a church that was just beginning to meet in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist building. And there was this guy, Brian Stupar, playing guitar, and then James came along, I think, and saved us from that for a while. <laughs> So, it, all that to say, it's, it's just such a delight to be here and to be able to interact with, with people and in a ministry that has incubated two generations now. My granddaughter Hannah is here, and she attends at times. So, you guys have been a blessing, and I, I thank you for that. Thank you so much. So, it's my privilege this morning to wrap up this section of 1 Corinthians. So, um, Paul has been addressing the contentiousness, the competitiveness, and the dissension of the Corinthian church. And all through the beginning of, of uh, Corinthians into the section that we're in right now, he's just talking about this and, and addressing this in a way that as we understand what, as a great teacher, he does, is he sums up as he goes along. First Corinthians is a, a long book. And so this morning, we're going to be taking advantage of his summation, and then he's going to get into some things that are necessary to address on the next stage. He's talking about moral issues, really bad moral things. But he has given us the proper approach with which to handle correction in the church as a result of what he has spoken to us about so far up to this point. So I'm going to read the text. And then we'll get into it, and we'll, we'll, uh, I'm looking at the time, so I'll make sure I don't go into dinner. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 21. I'm writing this to you not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Verse 16, this is the pivot. So we're going to state this, and we'll call it out, and then we're going to come back and pivot off this verse 16 quite a bit. It says this, Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come very soon, 
if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Let's pray. Lord, these words are so amazing, and on one level they seem harsh and boastful. But that is not the spirit of this man, God. This is the spirit of you, Jesus, coming through in your word and calling us to something that is so amazing. So we ask, God, that we would be able to open our hearts and open our ears and that we would sit like those who followed you up the hill when Jesus peeled off from the crowd to give a sermon on the mount, which was actually given to those who followed him. And like little kids, Father, we would follow them up into the hills into a quiet place. Take a breath. Sit down sit at his feet, and listen to these amazing words. Open our ears and hearts, God. Write these words on our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So with this passage, again, he's, he's concluding this section. Um, and what he is pointing out to us in verse 16 right off is that um, mature Christians, leaders included, operate at personal cost for the benefit of those whom they serve. Now, this is a really, really key perspective. A few verses before, Gunther went over this last week, verses 11 through 13, chapter 4, say this. Um, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. He is presenting the core of Christian maturity summed up in a very simple statement, a very simple expression, a very simple examine. To be a mature Christian is to give at my expense for your good. Four chapters, and it comes down to this. He is, he is talking about, in um, chapters 3, going back a few weeks, and Brian did such an excellent job talking about growing up. Gunther last week really summed up the heart of what it is that I want to concentrate on this morning. And he said something really profound and really, really encourage you. If you take notes, go back, listen to the tape, note this one down. But Gunther said this, the only difference that that we can measure with true accuracy is in Christ Jesus as he changes me from the inside out and that we grow up in maturity and become the servant of all. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare other people to other people. The only difference that we can measure with true accuracy is in Christ Jesus as he changes me from the inside out and that we grow up in maturity and become the servant of all. Baby Christians expect their every whim to be catered to, even after they have had plenty of time, sat in church, listened to great messages, been encouraged in many, many ways, definitely been saved. But baby Christians expect their every whim to be catered to, even after they have had plenty of time to listen, learn, grow, and begin to serve. 
A baby Christian focuses on their own needs, seeking others to provide for them. Chris did a great job. Gunther points out there's 24 separate moving targets going on. In between services, I went and got a great cup of coffee. And I, somebody came early and did that. When we pulled in this morning um, to, to do sound check, there was somebody in the parking lot. 24 different activities. Somebody is serving at their expense for your good. We as Christians to mature must grow up and start looking, where can I serve at my expense for your good? Um, Paul skillfully and convincingly tells the Christians that the reason there is so much friction, dissension, and conflict is due to the fact that they're acting like a bunch of spiritual babies. He says, what are you doing talking about who you are connecting with? Um, There's a brilliant book by C.S. Lewis called The Inner Ring. Has anyone ever read that one? You should. It's a great book. It's it's one of the most profound theological books. In in the way that C.S. Lewis does so well, he distills this really, really evil thing. And at the same time, Highlight something that is hardwired into each and every one of us. I want to belong to something that gives me significance and meaning. God made me that way. Ecclesiastes tell us that he has put eternity in their hearts. There's something in me that wants to belong. People that I call religious entrepreneurs, do you like that? I made that up. (laughs) They seek their good at your expense, maybe quid pro quo, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Um, That is the polar opposite. And what they're doing is that they're exploiting this need that we have to be part of something. Paul's ability to boldly say, imitate me, is because he has presented his portfolio and said, I have been shipwrecked. He will go, next time he talks to the Corinthians in chapter 6, he'll tell them, I've been stoned, I've been starved, I've been robbed, I've been beat up, I've been lowered out, I've had to escape with my life through um, the darkness, being lowered in a basket outside of a, of a building, that I, a, a town. He says, dear people, what are you doing trying to belong to something where people are using you for their good at, for, at, for their good at your expense. Imitate somebody who has demonstrated that they are for you. Um, I think that that is probably something that Paul encapsulates. I am for you. How do you know that? Because I went through everything and gave everything at my expense for your benefit. You can trust me when I say, imitate me. This isn't some proud, arrogant boasting. This is the plea of somebody who is using the appeal of a father. Now, I know in our culture that that can be an issue, right? And when I say father, people think of, and there are people in here right now that are thinking male and thinking abuse, because our context is our father. But when the Bible uses the term father, it's using something far, far more comprehensive. It, 
When, and I go back to Genesis chapter, you know, the very beginning where God says, I will create man and woman. He didn't say it. He said, I'm going to create human beings. In the image of God, let us create human beings, male and female. So God, in order to create something in his image, needed to create it in two parts because he is so amazing, it just doesn't fit in one. It makes sense to me. If I'm doing premarital counseling, I'll, I'll, I'll share this with a young couple and go, you've got to understand that if you are going to fulfill the original commission where God says to, to his creation, created in his image, which is not necessarily male, but it, it, it contains all of male and all of female, that it's going to take men and women working together to reflect this amazing creation of God. Is that, is that okay to say that? Okay. Thomas Aquinas really sums this up the best when we're talking about Father. Who is God, Father Almighty? He said that if you really want to understand God, if you really want to understand God Almighty, God, Father Almighty, we have to look at the person, Jesus Christ. We understand what our spiritual father is like when we look at he whom hung on a cross and gave everything at his expense for our benefit. He who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we talk about spiritual fathers, what we want to do is we want to block out the cultural contextualization of an earthly biological dad. Now Paul says, although you, have, um, you may have many tutors, you do not have many fathers. So in the text, what that's telling us is that he's not speaking biological here. He's speaking spiritual. And really, this could be anyone who has been a part of your life to nurture and fulfill what the definition of that term. When I look at Jesus Christ on the cross, what do I understand? The meaning of Father, not biological. It is understood in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so just so we know, I, I'm not, I am extremely, or I may not look like it, but I'm extremely orthodox, you know, theologically. So I have to, I have to put prefaces out because everyone says, oh, no, it's some, you know, some old wild hippie man's going to come up with spaceship revelation. <laughs> not, not the case. Not, not the case. So to grow as Christians, we need those that we can imitate. We also need to become Christians others can imitate. Paul uses the term father to help us understand what the quality that we want to imitate and what the quality that we want to become is. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our talk this morning on, talking about how do we become people that we can say to others, imitate me, and the Holy Spirit doesn't <coughs> convict me and say, you, you liar, you hypocrite. What business do you have doing that? That's not what we want. So to grow up, to become a mature Christian, is to seek the good of others at our own expense. Immature Christians expect others to meet their needs at, little or, at no expense to themselves. And, and Paul is, is going to get into this and t give us some great helpful tips on how we can grow up into being somebody who is imitating Jesus. And when people imitate us, they know that they are getting the real deal. 
so Paul says in verse 1, he says, and uh, I think it's important when we see a therefore, find out what it's there for, right? Has anyone ever said that to you before? I heard it 50 years ago when I probably, when I was the first new Christian, I thought, that's such a clever little thing. When you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. <laughs> Paul's therefore, based on the first couple of verses, says, based on the fact that I have poured myself out at my expense for your benefit, I urge you to imitate me. Um, you don't have many fathers. So spiritual fatherhood is something that occurs throughout our Christian life so that we will have an, a, an opportunity to learn how to grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. Each of us can look back over our Christian life and say, who has, who has worked as that initiating, nurturing dynamic in my life? Some of us are fortunate enough to have physical families. Now, although it's not talking about a, a biological family, he's talking about spiritual father. His I birthed you in, in the gospel. Um, so, so, but Paul is talking about more of a spiritual mentoring. And he's also telling us that this happens in seasons. There have been numerous people who have really done that for me. I, I was so great. I've been so fortunate. And, and, and we can all reflect back on people who, who have done that for us. And it will continue, I hope. There are people who have stepped into the season of life that I am now and are acting in a way of, of being someone that I can confidently imitate. I still am on the journey of trying to become mature and trying to become a person that is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, so, so verses 19, Paul says this. He says, when I come, but I will come to you very soon for the king and if the Lord is willing, and I will find not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God, verse 20 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So the first thing that we hear in this closing situation, following Paul saying, imitate me, is that a person that we can confidently follow shows up. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. Do not mistake this for a blustering threat. Like, I'm, you know, when the sheriff gets to town, I'm going to clean it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that even in this environment where you subject yourself to shipwreck, even though you sh subject yourself to being robbed on the road, stoned by people who don't understand, he says, I'm coming. I'm going to show up for you at my expense for your good. It wasn't like the days like today where you could go and say, well, maybe we'll take a 30-minute detour and swing by and say somebody. So I'm going to show up. We need people in our lives who show up for us. We need to become people who show up for other people. Somebody showed up for you. Somebody showed up and at personal expense said, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. That's how we got saved. Somebody announced that to us. Somebody showed up for Mo, who's talking about being under it this week. And I talked to another young woman uh, in a, uh, after the, the first service after Mo shared. They said, I really needed to hear that 
most sharing showed up for somebody else. Um, I was here a couple weeks ago, and uh, a mutual friend of Maureen and Jordan's, Jordan, uh, a guy that Jordan knows really well, said he had come by, and it reminded me that he had an older brother who, who, who's a difficult person uh, in, 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 our in our town. He's very creative. Um, he is one of the types of creative people who feels suffocated in a church structure. So they come, and as a lot of creative people see what should be and isn't, and tries to share what isn't and isn't, and sometimes it just gets misunderstood. They don't always have really good bedside manners. So this is one of those people, it happens to be a person that I have a great relationship and I love, hadn't talked to him in a while, had been talking about going and seeing him. And Jordan reminded me, and we'll talk about reminding here a little bit too in this part about sending Timothy, but Jordan just challenged me and he said, you need to call him. What he was saying is that you need to show up for this guy. Don't talk about it. Show up. Somebody sent us a card. Somebody will send us a text. Somebody will send us a, a you know, some will, will cross paths. Somebody will come. But when people show up for us, we become encouraged to continue this process of becoming spiritually mature. Now, one thing on spiritual maturity I want to talk about, why all these things, we're going to talk a couple of other things, and we're going to celebrate communion. But this is an unnatural process. I'm kind of in a, you know, I live in the country, in cattle country, and people are a little bit more anti-organic, right? It's more of a meat and potato place. This is the coast. People are more organic. So when I say unnatural, does that bother you? <laughs> no GMOs. I do sales meetings with really creative designers every once in a while. I'll say, hey, I'm coming from California. Do we need all you know, gluten-free, non-GMO certified uh, treats for our sales meeting? And they laugh. They think that's funny. You know? So when I say unnatural, I'm not talking about anti-responsible because something we're really important, is really important to us. Good stewardship. All these things we, we adhere to. Christians should be better stewards, better caretakers of what God has given us than anyone else. There's no excuse for that. So that's not what I'm talking about. Spiritual maturity is unnatural. Becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is something that goes against our grain. The natural man fights God. Paul had been talking a lot about natural behavior. People want to be in the inner circle people who want to compare themselves to other people, people who are susceptible to, to being led by people who are at, not after their best at their own personal expense. But that's natural. That's the way we operate without Jesus Christ working on our hearts. What Paul is doing here in challenging us to imitate people like himself and become those people is unnatural. It was unnatural. It went against the grain in my being because I am not a phone person. I'm not the person who shows up at your door unannounced. God gave me a wife who overcompensates for my lack of that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, we were a good team. You know, I hide in the bedroom till I see who it is. And are there any other, I mean, you'd never know it from here, but are there any other introverts in here? Right. Okay. Okay. I was laughing while I was standing at, at, at Delmore's yesterday. We were getting ready to, you know, there's this big spread out. 
and everyone's eating, you know, and I'm standing in the corner with somebody, and um, I, I asked him, I says, are, you know, I don't want to hold you up. I'm really enjoying the conversation. Do you want to get something to eat? And he said, I'm waiting for the line to go down. I went, my people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I hang at the wait, and I, they go, it's all going to be gone. So better that than have people by me. Like this, you know, it's just, it's, ah! so, it, it was, so it was unnatural, but good. I can be a spiritual whiny baby. I don't want to call, you know, it's not my job. I'm just going to sit and ponder and think. I'm better staring at the walls and coming up with deep philosophical truth and calling Jeremy on the phone. But I need to show up if I am going to be something other than just a, a whiny spiritual baby. So... And when I do, I'm so glad. I mean, I called Jeremy. We're going to have um, Jordan. I called Jeremy. We're going to have lunch next Friday. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> but that's spiritual maturity. It's unnatural. It's unnatural for all of us in some areas to give at our expense for somebody else's benefit. It does not come naturally. This is spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. Um, when I come to you very soon, and he will come, if the Lord is willing, then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but their power, what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So I want to talk just real briefly um, about the, the aspect of how we misunderstand the power of the kingdom of God. Um, we, could, we could spend the better part of a year talking about the kingdom of God, and there's just a lot of for me, the main point right now in this particular passage is that the power of the kingdom of God is best understood as how the Holy Spirit transforms me into the image of Jesus Christ. When all the disciples went out, Jesus sent the disciples out and said, go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And they did that. And they came back and they gave them a report. He says, that is just amazing. And it is amazing. He says, but here's the deal. He says, the main thing is that you have been reconnected into the very life of God through faith, which is what's meant by rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Because of your faith, your sins will be forgiven, and you will be able to become a mature Christian carbon copy of the Son of God. That's the power of God. When he gives them the charge, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and these things will follow. He, we sometimes think that the power of the kingdom of God is to, is to focus forward on those signs and wonders, those types of things that we go after. What he's saying is, make disciples, become transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God does. As a result, all sorts of things will follow you. Far more things will follow you if you stay focused on what Paul is saying. Imitate me. Become conformed. Let the power of God transform you into a person that himself and herself can say, imitate me. And what you will find is the most amazing, wonderful things that you could possibly imagine following us. But it will also keep our orientation fixed on the theological, structural, scriptural importance of seek ye first the kingdom means let the power of God come and work the nature of Jesus Christ into my, into my life. Amen? Amen. So he, he says this 
about Timothy says, verse 17 says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Um, how much to say something really? I, I got to tell on myself, okay? We, we only do one service. I did two services, and I mixed my notes up. So we're going to go back and talk. This is so funny. Uh, do you guys think that's funny? I'm laughing. It's just almost as bad as the uh, other, a couple weeks ago, I had to go and meet one of my grandchildren at their house. Uh, it was Abraham here with us, and his younger brothers and sisters were there. My wife was getting pizza, and she was really concerned because the two younger ones were there. So I sat there, and I went to their house, and I started beating on the door, knocking and knocking and knocking. And I called, finally, after about 10 minutes, I called my wife, and I said, this is really terrible. Um, I, I can't find them. The lights are all off. The doors are locked. I can't get in. She says, oh, my gosh, let me try and help get a hold of them. And while she's talking, I walked out in front of the house, and I looked around and went, oh, dang, I'm at the wrong house. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're getting to that age where you start, got to start worrying about, you know, maybe getting a little potty, you know, so a little soft in the head. So, uh, but I, so I told her that because I thought it was so funny. She says, I'm really worried about you. I said, there's nothing to worry about. I, I, I fully recognize this is really ridiculous, so we're all right. <laughs> just like mixing my notes up. So we're going to touch about, uh, just for a second here about Timothy, go back. And for this reason, verse 17, I have sent to you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life and Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything I teach everywhere in every church. Paul was consistent. He didn't have one set of standards for one church. He wasn't culturally relevant when it came to the aspects of what the word of God was. I teach the same thing. This is really important when we're looking at people to imitate. They need to be scripturally consistent. Now, we present absolute truth in ways that make sense. I did that just a little while ago, talking about Father. We need, this is our job as teachers, as, as people who, who labor in this field. We need to make sure that we're communicating absolute truth in a way that makes sense within the culture. But it makes sense in the culture relevant to an absolute standard of what God's word is. No negotiating on that. So he, what he's saying is that when you go to find someone to imitate, make sure that you're looking at someone who's consistent. Make sure that they, um, their way of life is consistent with what their words are. I'll send Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything I teach everywhere in every church. He says, my words and my action line up. It's real similar to the same thing he was saying in imitate me. Imitate somebody whose words imitate with their behavior. Do you see somebody who is laboring at their expense for your benefit? That's unnatural. That's spiritual. That's who I want to sit at the feet of and say, teach me. And I want to become like that. Consistent. I want to be able to most importantly, have my way of life, my words, line up with my, my speech. So, um, verse 21. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Someone worthy of imitation exercises really, really good 
constructive criticism. By that, I mean that what is most important, first and foremost, and their orientation and focus is you're good at their expense and the work. Paul says that we are his workmanship. When we work sometimes to, to create a creative work, to say a worship song, I get constructive criticism from other people. This is how this works. I trust people who are for my good at their expense, who are willing to check their egos and their ambition at the door, and then put this product, creative product, in a, in a place where we go, we are all here for the benefit of seeing the best possible expression of praise and worship to God. Not stepping on my toes, not saying, well, you know, I don't really get this, I don't know why they do it. It's not that, but it's for the outcome. We are his workmanship. We are God's creative work of art. He puts people in our life who give us great constructive criticism. This is an unnatural process. I need people who are for me. And Paul has just blown off the first four chapters. He's talked about negative construction, negative criticism, is what takes negative approaches and says, you know what I want to do is I want to critique what you're doing to make myself look smart. I want to critique what you're doing so that you will follow me. I'm going to critique what you're doing so that you will, you will feel like what you want to do is be part of what it is that I am doing. You want to, I want you to belong to my inner ring. Paul says, we as his workmanship need to entrust ourselves to people who will constructively critique me? All of us, if we haven't already, will have our lives saved as spiritual people because somebody had the courage to say, what you're, what you're saying there indicates something that is a little bit off, taken to its logical conclusions. You're going to end up believing something that will kill you. I need good constructive criticism. If I'm going to continue to grow, I need to have people who are for me that I can imitate who will engage me in that manner. So that's one of the things that we want to look for in people that we follow, and it's one of the things that we want to be able to always make sure that we operate ourselves. Um, it's really, really important. I, I look at the model of Jesus Christ in Revelations where it talks about how he walked among the churches, and he set, some really, he, he set a pattern for us in the way that we engage, should be engaging one another, the way I personally want to engage others and be engaged myself, where he said, you know, you guys are doing a great job. You guys are doing, you know, the first church, one of the churches he comes up to, and I didn't research this, so I, I, I'm not that much of a flibber to gibbet, so I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it. He says, says, you guys are doing such a great job. You, you can smell a Nicolaitan, and they're bad, bad people. I really don't like them. So, now, if I hear that, if I hear Jesus say, hey, Mike, I want to tell you, you're really, you're really on, I really want to point out something that you're doing well. The next words that come out, I would like you to work on this. Yes, but even better. 
One of the things that we want to look for and become ourselves is that person who engages people, who need constructive criticism with a yes, but even better, from glory to glory to glory to glory. I want to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Before you bring critical, constructive criticism, pray. What can you possibly do at your expense for another's benefit? We're engaged in an unnatural process. It is going to take us getting in one another's business, not in a way that is indicting and not in a way that is negative, but in a way that is proactive. Without it, I am not going to become the thing that I need to become in God. Paul said, Timothy, we need people to remind us of what it is that we've experienced and what it is we've set our hearts to do. So three things. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to ask the worship band to come back up. And then we're going to have communion. And uh, then we're going to have prayer for people who, who need to have prayer. Um, one of the things that I have recently discovered in sharing communion is that um, there's an element of it that God has deepened in my understanding. So I've always heard, you know, we say, well, you know, don't eat unworthily, you know, examine your lives. And, and we want to make sure if you're not a believer, you don't, you know, you don't participate. But the thing that's weird to me is I went, there's probably not very many believers in a church service. Why? And then back in those days of Paul, I don't think he was talking about warning non-believers not to drink condemnation to themselves. I think what he was doing was he's saying, don't live an unexamined life. Don't live in a way that when you look in the mirror and you say, imitate me, you get convicted by the Holy Spirit. Examine before you do communion. And I really, really want to encourage you to do so. But do it by doing what David did in Psalm 139. God, I'm an open book. Examine me. Where is it that I am out of sync with your purposes, with becoming a person who can be confidently able to say to another, you can imitate me safely because I am for you. I want your absolute best at my expense. Where is that? I want to pull out three things. So as a, as a band, as we worship, I want you to reflect on these things. I want you to almost like close your eyes and picture standing in front of a mirror. And looking in that mirror, and, and, and when you say, imitate me, sensing, does the Holy Spirit convict me or confirm when I am looking at someone else and I say, these words I'm speaking to you are consistent with Scripture and whose actions are consistent with these words that I want to grow up. So if I'm looking and thinking in my mind, looking in the mirror and saying, you can imitate me because my words are consistent. When I look in the mirror, second thing I want to ask myself I want to ask if when I ask someone to imitate me does the Holy Spirit convict me that I am not a person who shows up for others the third thing I want to do is I want to ask does the Holy Spirit convict me that I am a person who engages in positive soul building constructive criticism or am I just trying to show off with what I know or be used of the, of the enemy to divide people. But am I a peacemaker? 
which is it? And then as you, you ask the Lord those things, and we, the band plays, we do some worship, and you feel like you're, you're ready to say, Lord, examine me. I want to show up. Lord, I want to be the person that when people encounter me, what I want them to walk away from the Lord is saying, you know what, I, that was hard, but you know what? I knew they were for me, for Christ in me and for my absolute best. God, that's the kind of model I want to be out put people like that in my life that I can learn from. And I want to know, Lord God, that it is your word that is the thing that is transforming my soul. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are making me into a copy of your image, God. You're transforming me. And when people see me, I will be able to say the same thing of you that you said of your father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Savior. It ain't ever going to happen completely, God, but I want to make as much progress towards that. So let's pray. Um, open our hearts, and then uh, as the band plays, we'll, we'll come up and have communion, and then I'll, I'll pray for you all.